We're in John chapter 2, and we're going to get there in just a few moments as we look at what God has to say to us in his word. Just before we do, uh, let me talk about a couple uh, things that uh, think about as we kind of lead us into this message and start by saying this. There are products in our world that you use maybe every day or that you've used at some point in your life or that you have enjoyed in some way that were originally designed for a different purpose than you probably use them for. Sometimes you have something that you use and you don't even realize it was designed for something completely different. Let me give you some examples. How many know what this is? So how many of you played with one of these? Yeah? Have one as a kid? How many still play with one? Yeah? How many of you were able to make it go all the way down the stairs? Ah, you're better than me. Wow, good for you. And of course, you know what its original use was, right? You know what originally, the original slinkies developed for? No. Originally, of course, they were developed to stabilize instruments on marine vessels. To stabilize uh, instruments when they were on the ship. And then uh, one day, the inventor of this uh, stabilization, a guy named Richard James, um, knocked the instrument off his desk. And as he did, he saw the slinky go. And it started to walk. And he thought that looks fun and thought that it could be a toy. And you asked Richard James, he said he didn't invent the slinky, it literally walked into his life. Give you another one. How about this one? What's this? Frisbee, of course, uh, invented or the originator, William Russell Frisbee, uh, was a baker in Connecticut in the 19th century. And he made a lot of pies. In fact, in 1956, at its zenith, the Frisbee Bakery made 80,000 pies a day. And the students, he was in Connecticut, the students at Yale University used to buy those pies. And when they were done with the pie, they would take the pie tin and throw it at each other. And when it was going to hit someone, they would yell, Frisbee, because it was a Frisbee pie tray. And thus is born the Frisbee. How about this one? Play-Doh, Play-Doh. How many of you played with Play-Doh? How many of you still play with Play-Doh? Uh-huh, yeah, right? It's fun, right? Uh, make shapes and everything with it. And of course, you know the original use of Play-Doh, right? Of course, you all have used it for this. The original use of Play-Doh was to remove marks off of wallpaper as a wallpaper cleaner. This is what Cleo McVickers originally in the 1930s invented Play-Doh or was trying to invent Play-Doh for. It's actually not that far-fetched when you think about it. We use those magic erasers. Probably worked kind of in the same way. Uh, and then his son, uh, Joseph McVickers, uh, about 20 years later, realized that it was kind of fun to play with, turned it into a toy, and lots of the under-five group loved it, and apparently some of the over-five group does still today. So there's products that uh, were designed for one use and then creatively and through process become used for something else and it can be fun and it can be good and there's lots of things we could go into that uh, were developed for something and then used for something else and ended up being a great use, uh, you know, something that you didn't plan on it coming about. And, uh, but then there are some things that are invented for one use and then are misused 
And when they are misused, they become downright dangerous. Um, Something like this. Tide pods, which were, of course, created for? To clean laundry. Right. But are apparently lately being used for starring in YouTube videos as young people eat Tide Pods and become extremely sick, poisoned, and some even die from eating Tide Pods trying to get famous on the internet. Some things that are created for one thing and then get misused end up being extremely dangerous. It's like that on medicine, right? You got to get your medicine. Uh, if you get a prescription and almost always on the side of that, it's going to say, use only as directed, right? This can be helpful when you use it as directed, but if you misuse it, it can be harmful. I want to look at a story in the scriptures today of something that was intended to be useful, created for one very particular purpose, something the creator indeed had a purpose for, but then was misused, and because of its misuse, caused major problems and pain. And it's in John chapter 2, and we're picking up in verse 12. And here's what the Word of God says. After this, he went down to Capernaum, he being Jesus. After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and his brothers and his disciples, and they stayed there for a few days. The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there. And making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered what was written. Zeal for your house will consume me. So the Jews said to him, What sign do you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you will raise it in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. So let me explain to you a little bit what's going on here. And what we have is something that was designed for one purpose and ends up being used for a misused in a very different way and causing, uh, caused uh, a very different result. So here's what's going on. Uh, this is, uh, Jesus is coming up to Jerusalem to celebrate a Passover feast. So there's three major feasts in the Jewish life, and the Passover is one of them. Huge feast, big party, big celebration, big holy day. Everybody's coming into Jerusalem. Everybody comes to the temple. We're talking millions of people. You know, imagine uh, first night times 10, you know, all the people coming in, gathering. It's been planning this, not just for days, weeks, months, but really for years in many ways. You're planning your pilgrimage to go up to the Passover feast, all right? So everyone's coming in, and they want to get into the temple, and Jesus comes in. 
And Jesus comes into the temple. And he is immediately struck by some things that are going on and the misuse of the temple. And there's two things that immediately jump out at him and that he addresses. Two things. And one is this. One is something that he's called the money changers. And here's what's going on. So many people that came into Jerusalem were not normally there. And some of them were outside, uh, they, weren't, they were outside the Jewish faith and they came to believe in God and they would come to Jerusalem to worship. But here's the thing, if you brought an offering, like we just worship the Lord with our giving and our offering, if you brought an offering and if you brought monetary offering, the only offering and the only money that could be used in the temple was the Jewish currency, was the shekels. But you probably didn't do business in shekels. You probably did business in some other currency normally. So people would provide a service for you. And you could come in with your money and you could change it into money that could be used in the temple for a fee, of course. And it was not a small fee. In fact, this changing from money, uh, from the money you might be normally do business in to the temple money would sometimes cost up to a full day's wages. And Jesus sees this, and this was extremely lucrative for the temple. This brought in a lot of money. And so it became a major focus of the temple. And Jesus sees this and it upsets him. And so he starts turning over the tables and he starts emptying out the money changers' uh, containers. And then there's another thing that upsets him, and that's this. So, for the, as a part of the temple, as a part of Passover celebration, people would bring sacrifices. They would bring animal sacrifices. We don't have to do that anymore. Uh, the Bible says that when Jesus came, he was the once and for all sacrifice. We don't have to do animal sacrifices. God doesn't require that. That's not what we do anymore. But there was a time where God, as a reminder of the seriousness of sin, as a reminder of, uh, of the uh, cost that it incurred, had this system of animal sacrifices that constantly reminded people that they needed healing and forgiveness. Not the case anymore, but it was back then. And so they would bring these animal sacrifices, animals that they had probably raised for quite some time for this very purpose. They had brought them, say, 50, 80, 100 miles, carried them up to the temple for this purpose. Well, here's what would happen. There were in the temple inspectors who would inspect the sacrifices. This was their job. And, and they'd make a determination. Is it an acceptable animal for sacrifice or not? And they would at times say, no, you know, this one rejected. Not an acceptable animal for a sacrifice. They were apparently so good at their job that somehow they were able to determine whether even though an animal looked perfect at the moment, if it was allowed to live on longer, would become an imperfect sacrifice somehow. And so they had the ability to reject the sacrifices. But if your animal got rejected, don't worry about it. There was a solution. Because if your animal got rejected, you couldn't just go home and get another one. You've traveled 50, 80 miles. You raised it for you. There is no replacement, and they knew that. So no problem. If your animal got rejected, here's what happened. The inspector could turn around. He'd just change his hat, and he happens to sell sacrifice animals. And you could purchase an animal from him to be sacrificed. And this is what was going on. 
and there was exploitation and there was abuse and it was a huge moneymaker. So much so that people in the day uh, described it as, the high priest's name was Annas at the time and people at the day described it as the bazaars of Annas. That he was behind it. He knew what was going on in the high priest. Not only that, that he sold the franchises that would be money changers and the sale of sacrifice and the inspectors and you would buy them from, the, from Annas, a franchise to be able to do this. And this is what Jesus saw when he came up to the temple. And so this Jesus, who we just saw turn water into wine last week, who saved the dignity of this couple at the wedding, did this amazing miracle. This Jesus takes a cord, uh, makes a whip out of these cords, and drives the animals, the money changers, out of the temple, flips over the tables, and says, you have made my father's house into a marketplace. And this doesn't look like the Jesus we're always used to hearing about and seeing, but this is the same Jesus who turned water into wine, the same Jesus who would stretch out his hands, and those hands that would take those nails on the cross are the same hands that held the whip and drove out the money changers and the animals because this Jesus, as we said in the beginning of this series, is full of grace and truth. And he brings those both to this occasion. And so you have Jesus cleansing the temple. And we hear that story of something that is being used in a way it wasn't intended and we can sit here very almost smugly and say, can you believe what they were doing in the temple? But the question for us today, of course, is not what was going on in the temple back then, but does it have something to say to us right now? And do we ever find ourselves doing similar things? And I would submit that maybe we have to examine our own hearts too. There's a couple more verses at the end of this passage that say this. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people. And he needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. This passage is saying that many came to believe Jesus. These are people saying, hey, Jesus, we believe you. We believe your God. We believe it. And it says here, Jesus would not entrust himself to them. He, 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 he would not, you know, take their praise and entrust himself to him. Why? Because it says he knew what was in man. He knew that the same thing that the temple authorities were doing that every person is capable of in their own heart. And that's this, making something that is supposed to be about God, about ourselves. And constantly in the book of John, we see Jesus correcting people's belief. They say they believe, but Jesus is constantly correcting them about what that belief means. And so we have these people, and Jesus doesn't entrust himself because he knows what's in a man, and he knows the capacity for us making something that's supposed to be about God, about us. And so, the temple authorities, when Jesus does this, say this. What gives you the right to do this? What gives you the authority? By what authority are you doing this? What gives you the right to disrupt 
what's going on in the temple? That question has to reach heights of irony that language has never reached before when you think about it. To ask Jesus, God himself, who the temple points to what right he has to disrupt what is going on in the temple that's supposed to bring worship to himself is the height of irony. Jesus and God, this temple is all about God. It's all about Jesus. In fact, he says, destroy this temple, meaning his body. In other words, these bricks aren't the real temple. The real temple is standing in front of you. And they say, what authority do you have to say what goes on in this temple? And we say, you know, we, they're wrong and how could they even say this? But I wonder this. Do we at times? The Bible says our bodies are a temple of God's spirit when we come to believe and trust in God. We have our bodies and our lives that have been created by God. Even if you are not a believer in Jesus Christ and uh, you're here seeking or looking or finding out, I believe that your body and your life was given to you and created by God. And do we at times come with the same questions as the people in the temple? What right do you have to disrupt what's going on in this temple? What right do you have to tell me? By what authority do you have to tell me what to do with this temple? What right do you have to tell me what to do? This is my life, my body, my choices, my time, my money. What right do you have to come here and tell me what to do with it and how to live it? And we at times may do the same thing that the temple authorities are saying to Jesus. What right do you have to do this? And Jesus calmly returns back to us that he created us. He made us. He is the temple. We have a way of making things in life all about ourselves. Even God. Even God. We come and we worship and we have a way of making it all about ourselves. So this is the question I want you to consider this morning for the last few minutes this morning. Here's the question. Are you, because the disciples said they remembered that zeal for your house will consume me. So I want to ask you this morning, what are you consumed by? Are you consumed with God or are you simply a consumer of the things of God? Are you consumed with God the way Jesus was with a passion for who God is and, and, and worshiping him or are you simply a consumer of the things of God. And let me just demonstrate what, what that look, what the difference might be so that we can kind of examine our own hearts. If you're consumed with God, then everything in your life is going to be organized around Him. That it's all about worshiping Him, honoring Him, glorifying Him, and all of that. And at sometimes you may end up looking a little silly at times because they're different from the culture around you because those are your priorities and that's what's first and that's what's most important in your life. When you're consumed with God, living in a world that is consuming all kinds of things around them, including are more than happy to be consumers of the things of God if it enriches their own life. Let me illustrate it this way. Let's say you're taking a trip. Let's say you're going to Alaska and you're going to hike 
the mountains of Alaska. I have never hiked the mountains of Alaska. I don't know what it would be like to hike the mountains of Alaska, but I can imagine some of the things I might want to take with me if I was hiking the mountains of Alaska. If I'm hiking the mountains of Alaska, I want to take lots of warm stuff with me, I would guess. I want to take a sleeping bag that will last and keep me warm way below zero. I want to take uh, boots and mittens and those little packets that I can put in my gloves to keep me warm and, and, and warm me up. I want to take lots of warm clothes and wool socks and, and all kinds of things. And I'm going to pack up and I'm going to be ready. And I'm going because I'm, I'm hiking mountains in Alaska and I am ready to go. And I go to the airport and I see some friends of mine. And my friends are dressed in flip-flops and t-shirts. And they look at me, and they're like, what's going on? Where, you know, what are you doing? Where are you going? And I'm like, well, I'm going to hike mountains in Alaska. They're like, oh, we're going to the beaches in Mexico. They let you know they're heading there. But, so they look different from you because they're headed in a different direction. And there are times in life, if you are consumed with God, that you are going to look different from the people around you because you're headed in a different direction. You're packing for a different journey. You got different goals and different priorities. If we're consumed with the things of God, we're often going to look different because we're heading in a different direction than people who are consumers, merely consumers of the things of this world or the things of God. A person who's simply a consumer of the things of God is around the things of God, but is not for God. It's not for God, it's for them. It's about what can I get out of this? How can this benefit me? How can this be uh, more enjoyable for my life? How can this make my life easier, more comfortable? I just want to consume things for me. When you're acting like a consumer of the things of God, uh, let me, uh, uh, it's, it's one way, what we do is we try and fit God into our lives rather than our lives being organized around God. Do you try and fit God into your life or have you organized your life around who God is? There's a difference. Fitting God into my life means, all right, I'm going to look at, you know, hey, I got my schedule. Let me look at the invitations we got this month and to the parties and events. And let me look at what I've got going on. Let me check the sports schedules. Let me check the sports on TV. Let me check uh, what else is going on. Hey, look at this. We got a free day. We can head to church. We'll fit, we put that, we'll pencil that one in because there's nothing else going on on that day. Hey, we can maybe do it twice this month. I already got my schedule. I'm just going to try and fit God into it somewhere. I'm going to fit God into it. There's a difference between trying to fit God into your schedule and organizing your life around God. Let me pay all my monthly subscriptions. Let me buy all the things I want to buy. Let me buy the things I need, the things I want. Let me, let me go eat everything I want and do everything I want. And, and then, hey, look, there's a few bucks left over. Let's give those to God. Fit him into my life instead of organizing my life first around him. Say, God, this is yours first. There's a difference. Are you consumed with God or are you a consumer of the things of God? The Bible says that Jesus was consumed with zeal for God. I believe the people of the temple were just consumers 
of the things of God. It looks like this. Maybe, maybe it's kind of like this. If we um, uh, picture this, an example, like if you're a consumer of the things of God, it's like we're walking through a, a store with our uh, shopping cart or our carriage. How many of you call it carriage? I am really in the minority. How many call it shopping cart? Oh, my wife wins. Uh, Wendy wins. They are shopping carts. She tells me a carriage is pulled by a horse, but I still call them carriages. When I worked at Market Basket, we used to call them steel buffaloes and uh, silver buffaloes. We were rounding up the silver buffaloes. Uh, but apparently shopping carts is the term. I'll yield that to you and the majority. So imagine you're pushing your shopping cart through and you're a consumer of the things of God. You pushing your shopping cart through, considering the things of God. And you're like, oh, heaven, absolutely want that. Put that right in the shopping cart, right? Want, some, want a bit of love? Absolutely. Want some of that love down here? Forgiveness, double dose this week. God knows I need a double dose of that. We're going to put forgiveness in the shopping cart. Uh, confession, that uh, sounds difficult and hard. Um, maybe just a little. Put a little bit of confession in there. Uh, accountability. Mm, not sure about that one. Uh, I'm gonna, I think that might be a passing fad, and I'm going to wait till it goes on sale. So leave accountability there. Uh, you know, you want, oh, uh, other things you want? You might, you, yes, we want people who will care for us and watch over us and help us in times of, of difficulty. We definitely want that. Community groups? Mm, I'll take the free sample. I'm going to leave most of that. Once in a while, I'll take that in my life. Uh, help and carry the burdens of others. Oh, cart's full. Uh, we're good. Maybe next time. Giving, generosity? Nope, not in the budget this week consumers of the things of God? Are you consumed with God or simply consumers of the things of God? The Bible says that your life, your body, if you're a Christian, is a temple of the Holy Spirit. What's that temple like? What's that temple like? One more thing one of the reasons Jesus is so upset about what's going on in the temple is this. Because the purpose of the temple was supposed to be a place where people can meet God. The purpose of the temple was supposed to be a place that made it easy for people to come and encounter the living God. And those that were running the temple had made it a difficult place to meet God. It was supposed to be a place where the poor could come and not feel poor, but they were now made to feel poorer. It was supposed to be a place where the hurting could come and find healing and hope, but they were now exploited and abused. It was supposed to be a place when those who didn't know God could come and meet God. And all these barriers were being put up. And Jesus took a cord of whips and cleaned out and turned over tables because it became a place that was hard for people to meet with God. And so in our lives, if we become consumers of the things of God instead of consumed with God, we in many ways do the same thing and it make it harder for people to come to know God. It's like this. You ever go to a store and you're looking for someone to help you 
and you can't find anyone. So you walk up and down the aisles and you're looking for someone to help you. You're trying to remember, is this store supposed to be the red shirt store or the blue shirt store? Which, you know, who, who work? And then you see someone and they got a red shirt on, but you're not sure they work there. But finally you find someone that they work there and you walk down the aisle and you go in, go in and see them and you look at them and they're doing this. And they don't even know you're there. They work at the store they're supposed to be there to serve and to help, but they're doing this. Why? Because they're consumed with their own stuff. And so they're not thinking about helping you. And when Christians are consumers of the things of God instead of being consumed with God, we're kind of like that. People that need to meet God people that need God, looking for someone to help them, looking for someone who works at the store, looking for someone who can give them some direction, looking for someone who can give them answers. But we are too busy at times trying to figure out what we can get out of it, what's in it for us. It's about us. But when we lift our eyes up and consumed with God, we get on board with his purposes and his mission. And we get on board with what he wants to do in the world and in people's lives.